Good morning. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to Haven Ridge this morning. It is a blessing to see everyone to be here to worship the Lord together. Uh, a few announcements as, as we get started. Um, just, uh, just FYI, if anyone needs to use the restroom this morning, please use that bathroom. We've just got this, this toilet is not filling back up. Um, so if you need to use the restroom, please use the one on the right-hand side of the stage, which would be your left over there um, this morning. Um, also, we had a, a wonderful donation from uh, a family that asked to remain anonymous within the church who have donated three rocking chairs um, for, for mothers, expectant mothers. Um, you know, so that is, is there to use for parents as you need them. Um, so just want to say thank you to that family for that uh, generous donation. A um, couple of things coming up on the calendar. Um, October 10th, which is uh, Sunday, we're going to have a brainstorming session for um, anyone in the church who's interested in just helping us steer um, and, and look towards the future if we, as we have children who are growing up and starting to get more uh, into that youth, teenage age. What does it look like for us at Haven Ridge to disciple them, to direct them? Um, and so we're going to have a brainstorming session because we don't have a youth program or we don't have anything really for youth age here yet. Um, and that's been kind of in the discussion for quite a while. Um, but as we have more 
more children who are going to be getting to that age, we're looking towards, okay, what is that going to look like for us? So if you're interested in having a hand in that um, you know, at all, mark your calendar. That's Sunday, October the 10th at 6.30. We're just going to have a brainstorming session you know, here to, to you know, talk about what is that going to look like for us you know, to, to help disciple the youth in the church and, again, to work off of that idea of helping parents to become the primary disciple makers in the home. Okay, so just, again, mark your calendars for that. That'll be uh, October 10th uh, at 6.30. October the 17th, do I have that right? No, wait, hang on. So that's September, sorry, September the 17th. September 17th um, is going to be the uh, Women's Bible Study meeting, and uh, ladies, y'all will be in Chapter 9 in, in, oh, I'm sorry, Chapter 10. Last one, okay, yep, chapter 10, okay, so that'll be uh, September the 17th uh, here at the church building, um, 19th, third Sunday in the month, that's the important part, third Sunday of the month, okay, the 19th, yep, okay, check your facts, Austin, <laughs> all right, um, Men's camp out, that will be the 1st and 2nd of October. That's the first Friday evening, uh, something we do at Haven Ridge. About every fall, we get together, all the men in the church, and we just gather for uh, hang out around the fire. We camp out. Uh, a lot of guys will come just to hang out for the evening. They won't stay the whole night. They'll just come. It's a great time of fellowship, great time of encouragement. Um, you know, I know many of the men in the church, that was kind of their first experience with fellowship with other men in the church here was at, uh, at campouts in the past. So that's going to be at the Groves, uh, at the Groves home down by the creek there. Um, and the week before, the week prior to that, we're going uh, to help Travis clean up the grounds uh, you know, down there by, by the creek because over a year's time, it grows up fast. Um, so more details on that. That will be just on a volunteer basis as you're able to during the week. Um, so, but if you're interested in participating in that at all, just mark your calendar. That's October the 1st and 2nd, that, that night of October 1st and 2nd. That's a Friday, Saturday, and that will be at the Groves House. Okay? Tonight, our young girls' Bible study begins. Um, and that'll be at 6 p.m. here at the church building, okay? Um, that's 4.30, 4.30 to 5.30, okay? 4.30 to 5.30. It's going to be a 10-week study, okay? Um, yeah, if uh, your young, young girls are interested in that, that's going to be this evening, okay? Or, or sorry, this afternoon, 4.30 to 5.30. Uh, the book is A Girl After God's Own Heart. Uh, price for those books are $10. Um, girls, y'all will receive those books this evening. Parents, you can pay that $10 um, to either Heather Scholler or to um, uh, Sarah Birchfield um, anytime, you know, uh, anytime you're able to, okay? Um, there's a, a, a um, Thursday, the 23rd, it's going to be a prayer to, to end abortion, uh, just an overall prayer for what's going on in our country regarding uh, abortion and a prayer and, and focusing on prayer towards that, towards the families, towards children, um, and that's sponsored by the Personhood Organization, uh, personhood.org if you want more information on that. Uh, Jeremy Scholler and Heather Scholler are district captains, is that, is that right, for, for the organization. Um, it's a great organization. You can read more about it uh, online, but they've been looking for a, a location to host a monthly um, just community-wide prayer for that, and they approached us uh, about using Haven Ridge facility, and we said, yeah, we'd be absolutely for that. So um, that's going to be um, that's going to be Thursday, the 23rd at 6 p.m. And if you have any questions about the organization, Heather and Jeremy are happy to answer those, you know, for sure. Did I miss anything on that? Oh, good, okay. 
All right. Uh, Renewal Wade Hampton program, uh, the, the meal ministry that we've been participating in, just a reminder, that shifted from Tuesdays to Thursdays now. So if your schedules open up and you're available to help and you would love to help with that meal prep ministry, um, see Natalie Dixon for more details because I know they're looking for, for volunteers. Okay, just a quick update on our chairs. We have place of order for more chairs. Nathan, did we get, how many chairs did we get? How many was that total? 36. So we bought 36 more chairs uh, just to provide more seating as the church body grows. Okay, and those will be here soon, right? With probably within the, within the month. Oh, within the week. Okay. All right. I know there was a quick update that, oh, these are going to be here faster than, than need be. So we'll keep you updated on that. Um, it may be we request a couple folks just to show up to help offload those uh, when, they, when they are delivered. So, but that's a blessing that, uh, that we'll have more seating available. All right, um, and then also just FYI, um, no children's moment this morning. So after the second song, Tracy's going to dismiss uh, our kids, five to nine-year-olds, uh, to go back with Miss Kelly um, and to go over to the Little Me Academy and um, uh, to have children's church uh, over there. So, um, and as an aside too, and I think this is put on our on our church uh, app, but um, do be in prayer for Mandy's husband. Mandy's the owner of Little Me. Mandy's husband. Um, uh, Ronnie, who's in the hospital, very, very sick. Um, so do just be in, be in prayer for, for their family and specifically for Ronnie as well. All right. I think that's all for our announcements. Um, let's see. I'm going to ask uh, Mr. Austin Hammers to come up and give our call to worship this morning. Good morning, church. Our call to worship today is in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, excuse me, for by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of, ad, ado, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we have such a beautiful freedom to gather so openly and publicly worship and declare you. Lord, as we prepare today to worship, I ask that the Spirit could engulf this room and that all of us can be aware of his presence as we come before you as the body. Lord, may our teacher speak your words with truth and as if honey dripping from his lips. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. If you guys would stand and worship with us.
can be dismissed to Miss Kelly at the back. There is a dream. A dream of faces. Of feet stirring dirt so red. Of lungs that cry and hearts that thirst. Not our dream, but the Lord's. Not our delight, but His. His delight in those who have never heard, who inhabit homes and hunger for a father they know not of. We join His dream, His messengers of hope, not by our own strength or ingenuity, but wagering all on His delight. And we go. Our tongues speak the language of a thousand homelands. Our feet trek to mountaintops and hike desolate deserts. We step into city centers and sail the most distant seas. We love because he first loved us. We go because he first came to us. We walk the paths of those before us. Their sacrifice, our model, pressing ever on to lay hold of the Lord's desire. The nations are his inheritance. The zeal of the Lord burns. It burns. It burns. Reaching past borders and regimes, through prisons and beatings, into hearts and homes. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every tongue will stand before him. We are caught up in his unfailing pursuit of every beating heart in every corner of the earth. To the last soul, to the last breath, to the last home. Recently, the Lord has um, convicted me and laid on my heart just my, my lack of prayer um, and just my lack of, of knowledge of what he's doing in the world. Um, and as, I was, I've, as I've been searching and, um, and praying through um, this, the Lord, um, I came across this, this Every Home for Christ. Um, and if you're like me, I, I feel like I need some some guide and some help in um in framing my prayers and my prayers and even knowing how to to pray for the nations um and this i just wanted to share this website um with you because there's a lot of great resources um their mission is to serve the church by equipping and mobilizing believers to participate in sharing truth and love of jesus with every person and home on earth i mean they have an, a goal by the year of 2038 to have have gotten into um to have share the gospel with, with the nations. Um, so one of the things that, um, that they have that's a free resource is um, these world prayer maps. Um, there's one that's kind of geared more toward adults, and then there's also um, Adventures in Prayer Kids World Map. Um, I got about 20 to 30 
So if each family could, if, if you're interested, they're over here on the counter. Um, but it, it lays it out where you're praying for six to seven countries, that's every country in the world, um, but each day for a month. Um, so it just kind of gives you um, a, a map and shows you where the place is and um, gives you an idea of, of a plan for how to pray for the nations. Um, on that same website, there's also a link to a, um, an app called Prayer Watch Live, um, and it is very specific requests that um, um, from missionaries, pioneer missionaries, that cycles through every 60 seconds. So anytime you log on to the app, you could see a different prayer request. But just to give you spe- really specific um, idea of what to pray, um, what God is doing in their in their country. Um, there's also some free books. They're called um, Gospel Stories that are just short mini books um, that are just stories of what God's doing around the world. So just some, some ideas. If you're like me, you need kind of some ideas on how to how to pray. I just wanted to share that as a resource with you. Um, also wanted to give you um, an update on our missionaries that we support. Um, Candy, who is our missionary in Bangladesh, she um, just recently moved back to Greenville due to continued closings in Bangladesh. Um, but she, she shared in her last um, newsletter just how she was able, while she was there, to continue to meet doing cooking classes and Bible studies and teaching English there. So just continue to pray for the seeds that she's planted, for the work that God's doing there. Um, and while she's here, she's going to be teaching the Good News Club at Brushy Creek Elementary. So she's really excited. I know in Bangladesh she worked with the children there. So she's excited to be able to do do that while she's home. Um, Eunice, as well, um, is has been back in the, um, the States for a time. Her mother passed away, um, so she was back being with her family during that time but she the middle of August she was returned to Ireland um, and in her newsletter there were some exciting things I wanted to share that God's been doing with her church in Ireland <clears throat> um, she said they were able to do a kids Bible club and they had 30 kids attending um, over the summer there are four baptized um, and she said there are new people that are regularly attending the church um, there in Bible studies um, and they are continuing to raise funds for a building for their church, and they're about 50% of the way there. Um, and then the Boyers, I wanted to, Joey and I have been in pretty pretty consistent contact with the Boyers while they've been in the States. <clears throat> and I reached out to Michael yesterday um, for ways that we could be praying for them specifically and just wanted to share what his, his reply was. Um, he said, Galatians 6, 9 through 10, Pray that we would not become weary in doing good, trusting God, that in the proper time we will reap a harvest, and that during this season of furlough we will be used to do good for all people, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. God knew we would need this forced furlough because we could not and would not have taken one if it weren't for his provision. We are thankful for you at Haven Ridge for your prayer support and ongoing encouragement. It is truly being used by God to prepare us for this next season back overseas. Also pray for us as we have been having conversations with Greater European Mission, which has been based in Ireland since the 70s, about joining the team, and with Teaglin, which is an ev- evangelical addiction recovery program based in Ireland that has hired a solicitor to review their case with the hope of bringing them back under our work visa. Um, so pray for wisdom, discernment, and unity in the decisions that they must make. And then pray for the Celtic peoples that they love, 
pray that God would send laborers to the fields to labor with them for the sake of making the gospel known in hard places in Ireland and across Europe. And pray for him to come quickly. Um, so let us pray and we'll lift up um, our missionaries. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just, I just thank you so much for just your desire for all peoples to know you, God, and just for involving us, your people. We're so weak, and um, God, we sin and we struggle, and but you just choose to um, involve us in this work that you're doing in the kingdom, Lord. Um, and Lord, I just pray that you would just lay it heavy on each one of our hearts, um, that that we're all crucial to, to missions, Lord, that we can pray, Lord, and that you would just stir in our hearts just a passion, a desire, a need, um, that you would just lay people on our heart um, throughout our week, Lord, that we would um, just fervently pray and lift up um, our missionaries, Lord, and um, just Christians in other parts of the world, in Afghanistan or other places where um, they're fighting for their lives right now while we're comfortably um, worshiping you with freedom in our country, Lord. I just pray that you would give us us your heart for the lost. And Lord, I pray for the missionaries that we support all across the world, Lord. They may be back in the States with us now. They may be back in their country, Lord. But um, I just pray that you would open doors for them supernaturally, Lord. And with the boyers that you would just... I know they've gone through some ups and downs and closed doors, what seems like closed doors, Lord, but you've, for a purpose, you've put Ireland on their hearts and you've given them a love for the people there. And so I just pray that um, that you would just open that door, that you would, um, that it would just be clear that it was your, that your hand and Lord, that you would get all the glory. Um, and I pray for um, Eunice as she's back in, in Ireland, Lord, and just the work that you're doing in her small church there. I just pray you'd continue to um, bring people there, bring new people. God, we just praise you for the work and um, stirring in hearts and for the baptisms. And um, I just pray that you would continue um, just your, your powerful work there, Lord. And um, for Doug and Lauren with China, Lord, um, whether they're back in China or are still here in the States, Lord, you've also given them a desire for the people there. And I just pray that you would, um, again, open doors for them to be back there, Lord. And if there's uh, missionaries, um, Lord, that are serving in their country now and are facing the hardships of uh, shutdowns and, um, and sickness and um, just discouragement, Lord, I just pray that you would give them times of refreshment, that you would put other believers um, that they might see on a regular basis, Lord, or even us, Lord, um, that we would be able to encourage them in whatever ways that you lay on our hearts, Lord. I just thank you that um, that we have brothers and sisters all across the world, Lord, and just what a beautiful picture that is of what heaven will one day be. And I just pray that you would continue to um, just to stir in our hearts, Lord. Um, again, just a passion for the lost. In your name I pray. Amen. Just stand with us for two more songs.
darkness not yet understood through the valley i must travel where i see no earthly good but mine is peace that flows from heaven and the strength in times of need i know my pain will not be wasted christ completes his work in God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to worship um, with the freedoms that we have in the U.S. that a lot of other places don't have. Um, God, we thank you for that, especially that last song really rings true to me. God, I pray that you would um, be there for Austin, um, be with him as he comes to preach the word today. God, I pray that we would be receptive um, and be able to apply the things and learn and learn more about you and grow in you today. 
In your holy name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3 as we continue our, our preaching series about the true gospel through, through the book of Galatians. Galatians 3, 5 verses this morning. Galatians 3, 1 through 5. All right. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let's pray. Father God, keep us from error. Would you this morning... You pull back the curtain of heaven. May we gaze into the throne room. May we see Christ crucified, risen, and reigning, seated at your right hand. Would you give us this day just a little bit clearer picture of what it means to be in Christ, of what it means to live the life that we live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God. Father, would you keep us? Keep me from error, Father. Help me to paint a clear picture of the gospel this morning and what it means to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. I don't know everybody's story here this morning, Father, but I pray that I pray that what is said, what is that, that, what the food that is brought forth from your word would be edifying to all who are present here in this room who are watching online. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. When uh, when Martin Luther first espoused his doctrine of the justification by faith alone, obviously he got a lot of pushback from the Catholic Church. It's a bit of an understatement. But when he was preaching in his in his own uh, when he was preaching in Germany, and uh, the word got to the Duke Duke George at the time, Duke of Sussex, and he heard of of Martin Luther's great doctrine of justification by faith alone, and it's reported that he told the courier or whoever shared that with him, well, that's a wonderful doctrine to die by, but it's a, it's a horrible doctrine to live by. Well, he got one thing right about it, is that indeed for, the, for, for upon death, the doctrine of justification by faith alone is a great comfort. But he erred in thinking that the doctrine of justification by faith alone has no application for us as we grow in our faith with Christ. And that's a common error today. And that's one of the things we're going to look at. That's exactly what the Galatians were in danger of doing, particularly here in our text. Now, if you remember where we have come from in Galatians, and last week, Alan looked at, we finished chapter 2, Alan preached 
Galatians uh, 2.15, excuse me, Alan preached uh, Galatians 2.15 through 21, um, which is just a great just synopsis of Paul explaining justification by faith alone. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we, he's talking about Jews who have believed, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. So Paul sort of begins his thorough explanation, an argument trying to defend the gospel, and specifically that aspect of the fact that we are justified by faith in Christ alone, apart from our works. There are no works that can garner us favor in the courtroom of Christ upon the day of judgment. And so it'd be easy for Paul then, you would naturally think Paul's already, he's diving, you know, deep into this, okay? And so it'd be naturally for him to just move and continue with his argumentation. But it's interesting, he, t- he takes a step back here at the beginning of chapter 3 in the first five verses, and he takes a step back and he looks at, he looks back at, the, at his evangelism of the Galatians and their conversion before he moves further into his deeper argument from Scripture about why the doctrine of justification by faith alone is so important. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're looking at these five verses where Paul sort of takes a step back. He admonishes the Galatians, all right, and he talks about their conversion experience and then them growing in, in faith. Okay, so my outline is very simple. Two points this morning. One, justification by faith and the preaching of the word. What's the connection there? Okay, the warning and the remedy. We'll look at that. And then the second, second one is sanctification by faith. Okay, how is the Spirit given? What's his function? Well, I'm not going to extrapolate that entirely, but just from the text, what we're looking at, what is, what's the function? Okay, and then contrast life by the Spirit with life by our own efforts. Okay, this is drawn really a lot from what Paul had said just previously for, where he says, he says, I've been crucified with Christ as long, no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Okay? He'd been crucified to the law. Okay? So that's Paul living a life right now, growing in sanctification. Okay? He's saying, I'm doing this through the same faith that justifies me is also sanctifying me. Okay? But he's looking at the Galatians going, you're getting tricked here. You're getting tricked into shifting to try and do this by your own efforts. Okay? So we're going to talk about justification by faith, okay? and then that naturally leading into sanctification by faith and how easy it is to slip into this works-based mentality, this our efforts-based mentality of I'm going to pull myself up by my moral bootstraps and I'm going to grow myself in righteousness on my own, okay? All right, so again, very, very simple. So the first point is from verse 1 alone. Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, Paul uses very strong language right there in verse 1, and then he, he reiterates that in verse 3 where he says, are you so foolish? Okay, he literally says, you are idiots. I know that's a, not a nice word, parents. That's, that's okay, you know, right? Are we talking to our kids about the, the strength of language, okay? And yeah, there are good words, there are bad words, but you have to understand the power of language. Words are powerful, okay? So you have to be careful how you use them. Okay, Paul knew the power of language. He wasn't trying to insult the, the Galatians. He wasn't trying to belittle them. 
he was being very specific in calling them foolish, right? He wasn't trying to malign their character or just being unnecessarily cruel or crass. He was stressing the seriousness of their error, okay? Be like a man who comes out of a building that's burning with fire, okay? And there's people standing around him. He comes out of the building, it's burning with fire, and he goes, oh my goodness, I lost my favorite pair of shoes. And he runs back in the building. And you hear someone yell after him, don't be so foolish. Don't be so foolish. Look at the reality. It's a pair of shoes. That's a burning building. It could come crashing down and kill you. Don't go back. Don't be so foolish. We might say such a thing in, in such an instance. Don't be a fool. To be foolish would be to be disconnected from the reality around you. To fail to see and engage in life accordingly. This is my own definition, so take that for what it will. Okay? I'll say it again. To be foolish is to be disconnected from the reality around you and to fail to see and engage in life accordingly. Okay? Think back to the medieval times. I know nobody was there, all right? But we've all watched, you know, the King Arthur movies and, you know, there's been some fascination with that in your past, I'm sure. Okay, but remember in the king's court, there was the court jester, right? What was the court jester's job? To entertain the royalty. King, queen had a stressful day. Things were going difficult. You know, I'm just, uh, got too much reality going on. Bring in the court jester. What was another name for the court jester? It's known as the fool. It's known as the fool, right? Someone who could disconnect you from reality for a moment, you know, enjoy a little foolishness, enjoy a little laughter, enjoy a little entertainment that disconnected you from reality. So it is for the fool who acts according to his own detriment. Right? uh, Psalm 14, 1 says of the person who doesn't believe in God that he is foolish. The fool says in his heart there is no God. I used to have a t-shirt with that on its back. Still don't know to this day why I wore that one as opposed to others, but I had it. Okay? And we'll look at that, and we'll oftentimes, you know, as Christians, we'll go, well, yeah, that's obvious. You know, how, how could somebody be so foolish? You know, look at creation, look at all of these things. The arguments go through our head to defend the existence of God through creation, through Scripture, through Jesus, through all of these things. I just don't understand how somebody could see that, and yet will so easily be carried away by false understandings about the gospel and things that are tempting. Remember the men who are on the road to Emmaus? And Jesus appears to them and they're speaking and Jesus says to them, how foolish are you to be so slow to understand all that the prophets spoke of. And then he opened their, their minds to understand the scriptures. So we should no, take note of this. No, not look at this as the Galatians is like, oh, they're just... You know, you're wandering off and we're better than you or, you know, we've, we've, we've got this and, man, how are they so foolish? It should be a warning for all Christians, for all churches, that even for the passionate believer who's very zealous and maybe even very theological orthodox can be very easy to slip into foolishness and be carried away by a doctrine that's very palatable, looks like the gospel, is attractive, but is, in, but is in effect, it is a false gospel. So the warning is to not drift away from the very gospel that saves you by something more tempting in the moment. To always be watchful, to be on guard. Don't be foolish. 
So the Galatians were stumbling. And their stumbling was so contrary to the very gospel that Paul, that, that they had believed, that Paul wants to know. He says, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Who's pulled the wool over your eyes? That phrase, bewitched, it means harming someone by an evil look. You've heard the term giving someone the evil eye, right? Kind of have, have this vision of someone sort of hypnotizing, you know, somebody else, right? What it does is, in, 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 in simplicity, it connotes that, that phrase, that term connotes a form of magic that exerts its influence without extraordinary means, right? No pop, no, you know, no, no, no drama, no, no big flash in the pan or anything. It's very subtle. It's very subtle. And it should bring to our mind, a Paul, Paul's not, he's not speaking just metaphorically, you know, in the sense of, you know, like, understand, you know, who's, who's cast a spell over you. He doesn't really believe that anyone has actually cast a spell over them. Paul understands the dual nature of the battle that's going on, right? That in any sense and where someone drifts away, there's a willingness, there's a complicity of the soul and of the heart that is drawn into that. What we believe in, we believe in because we want to. But there's also a role, there's a spiritual side of it, right? There's a role that Satan plays in it as he prowls around like a roaring lion and seeking whom he may devour, right? The God of this world who blinds the minds of the unbelieving so they may not see, right? I, I make it a habit periodically to, and I've done this since college, to read through the Proverbs. Um, there's 31 Proverbs, typically 31 you know, days in a week works out great. So just every now and then I'll take a month and I'll read through the Proverbs. And I recently went through Proverbs 7, um, where Solomon writes, and he writes about the, the, the wiles of a harlot, is, is what the little subtitle in my, in my study Bible is. Um, but he, he, Solomon talks about this, he shows this picture of this young man who he calls naive. He says he's a naive youth, right? He's lacking sense. And he's led astray. I lost my place, hang on. He's led astray by the seductions of the har harlotrous woman, okay? Now Solomon is speaking in a dual sense, right? He's, he's talking about a young man who's being led away by his sexual affections and, you know, his own personal passions, Okay, but he's also speaking in the broader sense of the Proverbs of the dangers of catering to our own flesh and our own desires, right? And chucking wisdom, not heeding wisdom. Okay? So there's, there's that dual component there. You know, for that naive youth, he's looking at him and going, how can he be so foolish? How can he be so foolish? Well, his own personal passions and desires are involved in, 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 in exactly what he's going through. But Solomon and Paul realized there was a spiritual component there that, that provides the opportunities for deception. Paul says, who's bewitched you? Right? Who's giving, given you the evil eye? Who has subtly snuck in and shadowed the very gospel that I gave you so that you will drift away from it? And what Paul does, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
And then he says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What he does is he contrasts the foolishness of the Galatians, the foolishness of the bewitched Galatians, with the preaching that originally saved them. When he says, Christ Jesus, who was publicly portrayed as crucified. Okay, what's he referring to there? Some commentators say, well, maybe, maybe some of the Galatians that were there were actually present at Jesus' crucifixion. Maybe so. We're not told. Paul, there's nowhere in Scripture that says that that's true. Maybe some of them, it's very likely some of them, could have been present at Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit was given. There was a phenomenal outwork in the Holy Spirit that was given there. It says that many people from other surrounding nations were, were present. Maybe that's true. But more specifically, what fits within the context is that Paul is talking about his own preaching. Okay? That his own preaching in Galatia that is what brought about their conversion. Okay? That idea of Jesus Christ being publicly portrayed as crucified. Okay? Is that what Paul did in his preaching, what Paul did verbically, verb, verbally in his preaching was to put Christ on display. Okay, that publicly displayed is the same, same phrase that would be used as if someone in a town square were to take a public notice issued by the governor or the king or whoever and would tack it you know, right on a billboard uh, or right on a tree wherever everybody got the town news. We're going to put a public notice right here for everyone to see. Paul says, this is what I did when I preached to you. I preached the gospel to you. Right? He says to the Corinthians that he sought to make nothing else known among them other than Christ Jesus crucified. He tells the Thessalonians, he said, look, when we came to you and we brought the gospel, it wasn't in cleverness of speech. It became a weakness. We brought the gospel with its own power. What Paul did in his preaching was to bring to the present, bring to present application events that God had done in the past, specifically by placing his son on the cross to bear the burden of our sins, cast them away, and to give us his righteousness. Right? And Paul doesn't, again, I told you, Paul knows the power of words. He doesn't, he doesn't mince his words. He doesn't use it flippantly. Okay, remember I talked about bewitching. Who's bewitched you? Right? Who has through your eyes right, clouded them in such a way that you can't see the true gospel that I preached to you, that I publicly displayed? And then what does he say? He says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly displayed as, as crucified. You see, he's using that same language there. There's a link between that with the bewitching and the eyes. Because what Paul's saying is, look, the antidote, the very antidote for the foolish, for the foolishly bewitched, is to see the gospel clearly, first and foremost through bibl faithful biblical preaching. Okay, so let's make an application here. All right, especially I, I think if you're if you're if you're young in your faith, um, or, or if if there's any sense that you have of is God calling me to ministry? Or what does this look like? Um, yeah, maybe am I being called to be a pastor? Have ever entertained that idea? Or you feel that kind of tugging on you? Let's take a moment. I think this is helpful. To ask the question, what is preaching? Right? How do you know the difference between public speaking and preaching? Well, that's a whole sermon itself, obviously. You know, there's books and books written on it. But I think from here, where we are, what we see from Paul is that preaching is verbally putting Christ, 
his incarnation, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his future coming, all of those things, all those things that are connected to it. Putting Christ on display, making Jesus more clear. Think of a painter. My, my mother is a, is a professional painter. She, she grew up as, a, uh, as an artist. She taught art. Um, she, she does consignment artwork. And so I, I grew up in a household where we, my mom was always painting, doing things like that. What does a painter do? A painter has in, the, in his or her mind an idea. You know, maybe it's a landscape. Maybe it's a portrait, something that they want to convey. They want to clearly communicate to the audience. Even abstract painters. You know, okay, you see they're going, wait a minute, what about like Pablo Picasso? I mean, some of this stuff, it's like it's way out there. Okay, all right, that's true. But the painter still has an emotion, has a feeling, something, you know, maybe it's an abstract idea, something abstract they want you to feel. They're going to try and paint with colors and, and lines and patterns in such a way that, you, that, that you're able to lay hold of the very thing that they've laid hold of. Okay, you follow me? All right. Faithful preaching does the same thing that the painter does, but does it verbally. It paints, faithful preaching paints a clear picture of Jesus that affects the heart and the mind of the hearer. To bring Christ crucified so many centuries ago into the present room as if you were looking and seeing it here. And yes, there is the responsibility of the hearer to hear with the Years of faith, right? And preachers grow and develop over time. And there's different styles, right? Preachers have different styles for sure. You go into a church, whether you're visiting our church, whether you're going to another church and you go visit family or someone, you listen. What are you listening for? Is Christ clear? Is this preacher painting a clear picture of who Jesus is, to walk away with a little bit clearer understanding of Jesus, salvation, what it means to be in Christ, my need for Him. Or to walk away with something else. I've, I've, I've spent time in a number of churches where I've heard a wonderful message, but I walk out going, I heard no Jesus. I don't walk out with a clearer picture of, of Christ. I walk out feeling a little better about myself, Maybe I've got a little bit better idea of how to organize my business or, you know, five points about how I can better, you know, handle my children. Those are all helpful. There's no clear picture of Jesus. And then, of course, application from that. But there's no clear picture of Jesus. And I've heard, heard a good, good, encouraging message. And so it's that clarity. It's that clarity both in public preaching and in personal evangelism. Okay, let's, not, let's, not, let's extrapolate that out, right? In our sharing of the gospel, it's not the idea of, well, if you have a lost friend, let's bring them to hear Alan or Austin or someone, you know, preach the gospel, right? In our personal evangelism, we present the gospel as well. There is a personal preaching that occurs there in our sharing the gospel with others. So it's the clarity of Christ in the public preaching and in personal vision, evangelism that God uses to open the minds of the unbelieving, to lift the veil and bring the lost to repentance and faith. And Paul looks at the Galatians and says, you're so foolish. The gospel that I brought to you, I put Christ on public display before you with my words and you believed. And now you're walking away from it. 
That's what's at stake. That's what Paul's looking at. It's what he's seeing. That's why he's writing this letter. So there's a connection between the preaching of the word and justification by faith alone. But not only is there a connection between justification by faith alone and the preached word, but also sanctification and sanctification by that same justifying faith. Paul's bewildered by the Galatians' foolishness. How could you be so foolish to drift away? How can you be so foolish to drift away from the clear and powerful gospel which I preach to you? And he moves from that, from, from that directly preached message to their receiving the Holy Spirit in verse 2. He says, this is the only thing I want to know from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or hearing with faith? Now that's an interesting twist. That's an interesting shift. If you're like me, I'm looking at that, if, you know, if I didn't know the rest of Galatians, I'd be kind of listening to that going, that's a little, that's a little, that's a little risky. You're appealing to their experience. And Paul says, this is, this is the one thing I want to know, right? And he's saying, this will settle the whole issue. If you can tell me that you got the Spirit by the law, I'll shut up. But I know you didn't. You got it through faith. That's a little risky. But Paul knows that the experience of the, of the Christians that he has preached to and that have received the gospel, that that is in, a, in line with the very theology that he preached to them, right? That the, 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 the doctrine that he preached, the message that he preached, aligns with their experience. The two go hand in hand. And so he, sat, he asked them, where did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive it by hearing with faith? Or through the law, which organ did you get? Did you get your? Did you get the spirit from? Was it from your ears or from your hands? And you see the connection here between the preaching of the gospel and the giving of the Holy Spirit. You remember in remember in John three, Jesus Nicod- uh, Nicodemus uh, Nicodemus appears to Jesus and says, "You know what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven?" You know, Jesus says, "You must be born again." Uh, Nicodemus, how can a man be born when he's old? Right? And Jesus goes into this. You must be born again. And then, Je- and then Jesus refers to being born of the Spirit. Right? Talks about being born of the Spirit. You've got a wonderful passage there. What does it look like to be born again? How does Jesus explain that? You've got to receive the Spirit. You, you have to. Right? And then, then you've got that wonderful drawing from the Old Testament, from Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. Right? The Israelites were dying because they were being snake bit. God tells Moses, fashion a snake, put it up on a pole. Everybody who looks at it, they're healed. And Jesus points back to that. And he says, it's in the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent uh, on, on the wilderness. And that healed those who looked at him. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. Right? He's prophesy- prophesying of his own death on the cross. Okay, he's looking forward. He's trying to point, Jesus, point Nicodemus forward to what's getting ready to happen. And that's, that's connected with the giving of the Spirit, right? When the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross, all sin is done away with, right? And, and, I, and I take the burden of sin on myself, right? And I, give, and I give you my righteousness, and you have faith. As long as you look at me and you see me with the eyes of faith, then the Spirit will come. Okay, that's, I think that's a good summary of what he's saying there. Okay, but Jesus is speaking before the cross, Right? Cross comes, Jesus dies, buried, resurrected, 
Pentecost, what happens then, okay? Now you've got the preaching of the word. How can people see Jesus when he's already died and been buried, right? That's, a, that's a, an event in time that's locked in history now. As soon as it's done, you can't go back and see it, right? They didn't put it on DVDs and films and, right? Even our best depictions of the crucifixion of Christ, they're not the actual event. So how do they see it? How does someone see that? It's through the preaching of the word. This is why, this is why Paul can say in Romans, faith comes through hearing and hearing through what? The word of Christ. Peter writes and he says, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. James 1.18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So you see the connectedness here, right? Of how, how is the spirit of God given? In the new birth, what happens? It's through the hearing of the gospel, through ears of faith that hear the gospel and then believe. And Paul says, this is a gift, right? He says, you received it. How did you receive the Spirit? The Spirit, Not how you earned it. How did you receive it? How was it given to you? Right? Verse 5, he says, does he who provides you with the Spirit? He's talking about God the Father. You see, there's a, there's a blanket of grace that, over, that, that covers all of this. That this is a gift of grace that's given to you by God. Him giving you His Spirit. Putting, in, putting your Spirit within you. And that only comes through the eyes of faith when you hear the gospel and Christ is publicly put on display before you. It doesn't come through the law. It's given through the proclamation of the gospel. So verse 2, 3, 4, and 5. Paul asks a series of just rapid-fire questions that, that, uh, that has one overarching question. He wants to know, where did the Spirit come from? Your experience, Galatians, when you, when you came to faith in Christ, something happened that changed there. It marked your experience. And you can look back on it and say, this really happened. I don't know all the details of that. We're not told. We're not told all the things that happened. Maybe there were phenomenal miracles that happened. He says, that he, he who worked miracles no, among you, which is not uncommon when the gospel breaks into new cultures. Pick up and read stories from missionaries who go into new cultures, and there will be phenomenal experiences that you, that you hear about. But we have to be careful that we not make those things normative. They're not normative in Scripture. Part of the reason that they're recorded is for the very fact that they weren't normative. Right? But we also shouldn't take those miracles and we extrapolate them out to only phenomenological events. The, the very fact that a sin that you were struggling with, that you now have victory over, those are miracles. And so that phrase of miracle has a, we acknowledge that. So what I want to do is I want to give just real quick, a kind of a summary of these verses, okay, in the context. And then I want to do one thing. I want to overlap uh, verse 2 and 3. the Spirit for now. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, you're justified by the Spirit. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Your progression in your faith, are you now being, per uh, are you now being perfected in the, fl in the flesh? And I'll, I'll work that out here in a minute. I don't want to hang up on that one. But he moves from their justification to their sanctification. 
right? And then he points to the, fa- the markers of suffering that they experienced. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And we're not told a lot about the, the Galatian churches. But it's very, very, it's very logical to think, and it makes sense to think, that as Paul went to these churches, remember in our first sermon, we kind of did a summary of this. What does this look like in Paul's ministry? We looked at Acts, right? Paul went and he preached in these, in these towns throughout the Galatian region. And as he preached, people got upset. People got saved, but people got upset. And Paul was persecuted, right? He was stirring things up. He was causing problems in the eyes of so many that were there. They even followed him from town to town to try and stone him. And then he gets to the end, and he turns and goes right back through to encourage the believers that were there. So it's, it's, uh, it's logical to think that the persecution that followed Paul and that Paul stirred up, or that came about as a result of Paul's preaching, that it stayed there in Galatia, that the believers experienced a lot of that same persecution. And Paul says, you've suffered so much as a testimony to the value and the worth of Jesus. And now you're going to, now you're going to, they're going to cave in. He even points later in chapter 6 to the fact that, that many of the Judaizers who are spreading this false gospel are doing so for the very reason that they don't want to suffer. So, you know what, let's, let's rub shoulders with the Jews here. You know, let's, let's, let's get everybody kind of on the same page. No need to suffer, you know, for, this, for, for a crucified Savior alone. You need Jesus, but let's also keep these aspects of the law. Everybody gets circumcised, we'll do all of these things too, and then we'll all be happy. And Paul says, it'd be nice if it could be that way, but that, that, that turns the crucified Christ, means Christ died in vain. That means my preaching was in vain, worthless. It means the Holy Spirit being sent to you is of no purpose. If you can gain by your own hands and your own works what God promises can only come through His Spirit, then why does He send the Spirit in the first place? But so often it's easy to connect and try and be diplomatic about a lot of things. But when we see what's connected within the core gospel, we realize how many things that God has given to us, how many gifts and how many blessings become vanity if we jetson the true gospel or if we capitulate key aspects of the true gospel. So Paul says, was your suffering in vain? And then he says in verse 5, the experience of the kingdom of God breaking through was due to faith and not law. That's where he says, does he provide you with the Spirit and works miracles among you? Does he do it by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Paul was seeing that the kingdom of God was breaking through in Galatia because of faithful preaching that was given. He was praising God for it. And then he says to Galatians, I want you to look at this. this is, is this due because you were keeping the law? Or was due, this due to the fact that you believe the gospel and God was doing this work? It was, it, was because of the, it was because of the latter, not the former. So that's what Paul's asking in verses 2 through 4. Okay? So here's what I want to do. I want to take... I want to take verse 2 and 3, and I'll lay them over top of each other. I think that that's the most helpful um, in, in, our, in our application, okay? In verse 2, because there's a parallel, parallelism here that happens. Verse 2 says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? In verse 3, he says kind of the same thing, but he says it differently. And again, we've already looked at... There he's talking about justification. In, in verse 3, he's talking about sanctification. But the way he says it 
it parallels one another. He says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? So both of those verses talks about you got the Spirit. You got the Spirit when you first believed. You were justified. And then now as you're growing, you have the Spirit. You began by the Spirit. And he says, but now are you being perfected by the flesh? That parallels, it's, that parallels by the works of the law that he talks about in verse 2. And literally what he's meaning there, are you being perfected by the flesh? Are you working your way towards completion by your own efforts? That's what he's saying there. See, Paul's not, he's not concerned about the act of circumcision as an act alone. What he's concerned about is the fact that they would believe that they would gain some sort of spiritual completeness by engaging this act. That they would be at a higher playing level, if you will. Oh, well, you, you know, you're just down here. You'll get circumcised, and no, you'll be up here. Do this by your own efforts. We can, we can attain more by doing this on our own efforts. And so sanctification by our own efforts is in direct opposition to the gospel, which is sanctification by grace through faith. Okay? I think it's helpful here. What does the Spirit do for us? What does the Spirit do for us? Paul says that he fills us. To the Ephesians, he seals us, right? He seals us. He intercedes through prayer for us. He sanctifies us, sets us apart in our hearts, in our minds, giving us new affections, affections that align with God, renews our minds, open our eyes to see God for who He is and what He has done. So our hearts and our minds align with God and who, who He is and what God has done. And yet so oftentimes it's easy for us to drift and we begin by the Spirit. I mean, that's what begins. If I go around, I don't know everybody's story, but if I talk to you and you share your story of the gospel, how did you come to faith in Christ? There was a moment where it clicked. I see Jesus. I see my need for Him. Maybe you were 5, maybe you were 12, maybe you were 35, maybe you were 50. But it clicked. Jesus, who was formerly a prophet, formerly a, you know, whatever, you knew something of him, but there was a point in time where I see my need for him. I see myself as a sinner. I see myself as alienated from God, separated from him, because I don't truly love him. I've re- I, I, instead of being made in his image and broken, and that image broken, and desiring to be redeemed through the shed blood of his son, I prefer to have a God who's made in my own image. And that's what I've been worshiping. But now I see Jesus, and I see I see that I've had it all wrong. And Christ is precious to you. And you cling to him, grateful to be clothed in his cloak of righteousness rather than to try and knit your own out of faulty tools. That's what that's where we begin. Everybody's story looks a little bit different, but it's all framed in that same aspect of Eyes of faith being open to treasure Christ for who he is. And then it kind of comes the next question. Okay, well, 
Now what do I do? Right, now what do I do? Charles Spurgeon was once asked by a, by a fellow in his church, he says, Pastor, why do you, why do you give us the gospel every Sunday? And, the, and the, the patron's question was basically like, we're ready for something more. You know, I mean, here's Christianity 101, the gospel. Can, when do we get to 201? Right, when, when can we get to... When can we get to marriage? When can we get to, you know, business interactions? When, when can we get to, you know, battling, you know, battling lusts and battling pornography? When can we get to whatever else? You know what Spurgeon said? He said, I give you the gospel every Sunday because every Sunday you forget it. He said, I'll continue to give you the gospel every Sunday until you start to live like you remember it. And that's oftentimes our mindset. Because we, want, we want these other aspects, but we, we disconnect them to faith in Christ. So let me make a couple points of application. And I think this application will, will help help clarify that. Because I know that's that's kind of an outstanding question. Is, okay, well what does it look like to grow in sanctification, grow in my relationship with the Lord by faith, the same faith that justifies, and not by my own efforts. Okay, so I'll give, I'll give some examples there. But let me point back, to, uh, before I get there, let me point back to one other aspect of that priority of preaching. Okay, I talked about that in, in Paul in, in verse 1, but I think this is, this is important too. No, is that there's a priority for, uh, of, of preaching and corporate worship for every believer, right? In Paul's mind, is what's the antidote to drifting away, to being foolish, to being swayed by a false reality? Right? We get the message of a false reality as soon as we walk out this door, as soon as you go into the world. You don't need Jesus. You're good on your own. Well, you can have your own spiritualness-esque for whatever you know, ending you want onto it as long as it's over here. This is my reality. This is my truth. That's yours. You keep yours over there. Right? You can have God as long as your God stays in this little box. Right? We read the scripture and we read the gospels and the spirit encourages our heart and we're strengthened and we realize that we realize the same thing that the men on the road to Emmaus realized. Right? Our, our eyes are open to see the truths of scripture and the truths of who God is and we realize that this has phenomenal implications for what the world around us sees and believes. If there's any hope for us not drifting away into what's being proclaimed even in, even in other churches. And there's danger there of being foolish. That's what Paul says. Don't be so foolish. Don't be hoodwinked by the subtleties of these, these other ideas that are drifting out there. It's essential for every believer in order to guard against uh, drifting away it's through faithful preaching and, th- and faithful corporate worship. Paul would say we are foolish if we think that, oh, you know, I can go four or five weeks and, you know, not attend church or not, not sin under, under faithful preaching or any of these types of things. Paul would say don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. Pride goes before that fall, right? 
No, isn't it wonderful? We live in a day when we have we have the internet, we have YouTube, we have the ability to download sermons that are encouraging, enriching, and we have that opportunity as we go through our day or as we go through our week, we can listen to those and be encouraged. Absolutely, amen for that. Right? That we can read books written by pastors, written by faithful men and women of God, who encourage us. These are wonderful and they are helpful for sure. But I think God was wise in saying, not, as, not forsaking your assembly together. Because he who made us in his own image made us to work and worship together. That there is something about the body of Christ meeting locally, sitting under the priest's word, singing songs and hymns to one another and to the Lord that encourages and keeps the body in line with the gospel itself. There is a priority for that for every believer. Now, application for our sanctification. Two points of that. One is for our growing in our relationship with Christ through our own efforts. That that's a slippery and attractive danger for any Christian. And then also combating sins through our own efforts. efforts. So I'll take these points of application in turn. The slippery and attractive danger of growing in our relationship with Christ through our own efforts efforts. I say it's slippery because in our growing in Christ, there is some effort that we have to exert. Right? We, we have to do something. It's not that we sit back and get plugged in and we download Jesus or we download the Spirit, you know, or we download growth. It's not a program that's downloaded to our mainframe. Right? We, we have to engage in the relationship with the Lord. So there is some effort that we must participate in, that we must do. And that's where it gets slippery. So we don't want to lean too much on that effort and put our hopes in that effort. But at the same time, we can't be entirely passive. It's attractive also because we're law-wired. Right? I mean, again, this is, this, is the, this, is, this, is what, this is the message that we get, right? The world markets to us according to that internal wiring. Read any of the billboards as you go home. Take this vacation, you deserve it, right? Buy this, you've earned it. You know, all, all, of, the, all of these things caters to our aspect of that law, that self-effort. I am good enough, therefore this. Or I am trying to be good enough by my own efforts. So it's slippery and attractive, so it, it, it warrants our be paying attention to it. And so how do we do that? How do we, how do we oftentimes slip into trying to grow in our relationship with the Lord through our own efforts? We begin to look for things that substitute for Christ. They become functional saviors. We look to, to other things, something other than Jesus, in order for us to feel complete, in order for us to feel good, in order for us to feel satisfied, in order for us to, to feel hopeful. Right? Think of things like wanting control over, over, over aspects of your life. Wanting the approval of others. Wanting comfort. These things can all become functional saviors for us. We live and we act according to those. And we, we, measure, we measure our growth in Christ based on those things. Right? Based on those things. It's a false idea to think that we can 
grow by applying biblical principles to our lives rather than applying the gospel itself. Right? And that is what much of popular preaching is based on. Right? Taking biblical principles, biblical moral ideas, and helping you be a better version of your old self. Basically. Let's modify behavior to fit moral standards and then gauge your completeness by how well you're doing to match those standards. Right? Whereas the gospel, instead, the gospel, sanctification through faith in the gospel looks like looking to Christ. We see our failures. We see, see our failure to fit his standard. We see his righteousness applied to us, and then we live out of that righteousness. This is Paul saying, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And so obedience then, our efforts then, they're not, they, they don't stand alone for as, as means by which we would gain righteousness, as means by which we would say, I'm doing better because I'm, do, I'm, I'm, I'm growing in my relationship with the Lord because of these things, because of these efforts. Our obedience then becomes an outworking of faith in Christ rather than a debt that's paid to Him. As we grow, we see, our gra- we see greater and greater our need for Jesus. And at the same time, He's producing in us holiness. And that oftentimes is holiness that's being produced that we're not even aware of because it's not our main focus. I talk to people, especially older, wiser Christians, and compliment them on on things that I've seen. I see this aspect of generosity in your, in your, in your heart and things that I see from them. And so often, they're, they're, they're not even aware of it. You know, seeing God grow them because it's not their main focus. Their eyes are on Christ. Their eyes are on Jesus, and this is an outworking. Their efforts are an outworking of the fact that they're focused on Jesus. And our good works can also become a functional savior for us. They become functional saviors when we use them as a means of completeness. But do, you, do you gauge your spiritual condition by the effort you put into those works? Your, your spiritual disciplines? So if I came and said, how are you doing in your, in your walk with Christ? Well, you know, I, I read my Bible, you know, every day. Pray three times a day. Those are spiritual disciplines. Those are good. Those are efforts we should be engaged in. But if we look at those as the means by which we gauge our completeness, we gauge our growing in our relationship with the Lord, we're looking at our efforts. Right? Rather than, rather than, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing? I'm doing well. I was reading in 1 Samuel yesterday. I was reading into the Psalms, and the Lord just really touched me with this particular thing. Let me share that with you. The effect of putting our eyes on Christ and what His Word does when it washes over us to shape our hearts and our minds like Christ. That's what we're after. Not can I tick off how many times I read my Bible yesterday. That's true. We go through dry seasons. I'll be the first to say I've had dry seasons. I've had months where I'm like, reading the Scripture is laborious. It's hard. And that's not just when I'm, I've, I've been in Leviticus. Sometimes going through Romans is hard. Sometimes, you know, it, it's, it's hard. You know, and you're in that parched ground. You say, Lord, bring water. Lord, bring water. Keep me faithful. And he brings you out of that. Trust in him, he will. 
We all, our, our works become fu functional saviors and our spiritual disciplines become functional saviors when we look to them to gauge our spiritual fitness and our growth as opposed to our faith in Christ and our faith in Christ then directing the disciplines we're engaged in. We can do this also. Our works can become uh, functional saviors when they become uh, or, or, or um, when there are things like philanthropic and, and civil uh, efforts. You know, we see we need to engage in, 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 in the community. We see a need, right? We, we see a need. There are, there's poverty here. Scripture speaks to that. You know, and God stirs our heart. Let's do, I want to do something about this. So maybe you, maybe you start a ministry there. You're engaged in it. But all of a sudden, you know, what began by the Spirit prompting suddenly becomes a badge, well, I'm more spiritual than this person because this person's not engaged in my ministry. Or look at all the things that I've done. I'm doing this. Okay, well, I'm I must be growing because this ministry's growing. And our eyes shift off from Christ and the gospel to the work itself. It's a slippery slope. It's dangerous. We have to guard against it. Let me give you this as a litmus test. I know, I know it's hard. I know it's hard and it's so easy to slip. Now that difference between keeping our eyes on Christ and then trying to do it by our own efforts. But let me, let me here's a litmus test. So whatever you're engaged in, when it's growing through the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit thrive when the mind and heart are renewed by the Spirit. Those fruits of the Spirit, go home and read, look in Galatians 6. Review those. Those fruits of the Spirit. And those are demonstrable in our relationships with other people. If we say, are we, am, I, am I doing this by my own efforts or am I growing in the Spirit? Which one is it? And you're, and you're like, I don't know. Are the fruits of the Spirit fostered? Because the fruits come from the Spirit. That's why they're called the fruits of the Spirit, right? Fruit of the Spirit is not an apple. They're fr they're, they, they grow, or, excuse me, the fruits of the Spirit thrive, and they grow when the mind and the heart are renewed by the Spirit. And when they are not, when the mind and the heart are not renewed by the Spirit, through the Word, then the fruits wilt, and the deeds of the flesh begin to grow. I encourage you to go home and look at Galatians 6. Look at the deeds of the flesh. Look at the fruits of the Spirit. And then ask, which one of these are present in my life? Because those are the fruits, good fruits or bad fruits, that give evidence of where you are rooted. Whether you are rooted actually in the gospel or whether you have been subtly bewitched into shifting and believing and continuing by your own efforts. So there's that slippery slope, the danger of going in our relationship through our own efforts rather than according to the Spirit He's given us. And then there's combating sin through our own efforts. Right? Combating sin through our own efforts. Like having an issue with anger, let's say. Just coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, just take this anger away from me to make this thing go away. You're looking at the fruit of it, and I'm going to deal with this on my own. I'm trying not to be angry. Right? Use whatever language you want in there rather than looking at, well, what's the root of it? 
Or am I believing here? Am I believing that's causing me to be angry? Am I angry at someone because of an unjust experience that's occurred? And, and I feel that there needs to be justice that's done. The hammer needs to be brought down on them. And I'm bitter about it because I'm not seeing that. Am I not trusting in the Lord? Am I not leaving room for the wrath of the Lord? Am I not acknowledging that vengeance is His and not mine? That's hard to do. I realize that. Am I wanting control over this? Am I not getting the approval of people that I really want? See, the question there is, what's at the heart? What's at the heart of this? What am I believing about this situation that's causing me to be angry? And then what does the gospel say about it? See, when we do it by our own efforts, we look at what's going on and we say, I'm going to try and get better, try and do better at this, trying to trying to modify our behavior so that this doesn't happen. Now, there are things that we can do for sure, like not putting us in context with this individual, maybe for a season because I might punch him in the face, right? You know, that, I mean, there are, there are boundaries. There are things that are good to do, but it's very different when we begin to gauge how well we're doing and growing in Christ's likeness by those boundaries and those very things. Because if the root issue, the heart issue, is not dealt with, then it's never really resolved. And that's what the Spirit does is it deals with the root issue. So to be careful about not engaging in fighting sin and battling sin by our own efforts, but doing so through the Spirit. That's the difference between looking at the fruit of it and looking at the root of it. I'll close with this, with this illustration. I found this so very, very helpful uh, from one commentator. I, I had to borrow it. Um, going back to that idea of preaching and a painting and our life and growing in our relationship with Christ. There's a particular painting by a Flemish painter called Hendrix Lays, 1900s. And it's called um, Women Praying at a Crucifix. And Lays does a phenomenal job of painting just wonderful detail, wonderful detail of the columns that are in this, in this cathedral area, the, the clothing that are on the people in there. You can almost reach out and touch it. Just the fabric is so precise. Um, the, the, uh, the garden that's in the background, I pulled this picture up and looked at it, and um, even just digitally, I'm like, wow, this is just a phenomenal picture, just, you know, snapshot, really. You know, just wonderful. But what's interesting is, do you know what's missing in that picture? The picture's called Women Praying Before Crucifix. Do you know what's missing? There's no cross in it. There's no cross in the painting. And oftentimes, this is our exact problem. Is we lose sight of the object of our faith. You know, over the, the banner over our heads may read, Believes in Jesus, Christian, Little Christ, follower of Jesus, doctrine by justification, by faith alone, all of these things. If someone were to follow us throughout the day, they'd say, there's no Jesus there. There's no, the, object, the object of their faith is missing. So let me challenge you. You as a, as a portrait of Christ, if you're Christian, what's the object of your faith today? Let me pray for us and you guys can be dismissed. Father God, Lord, I thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to preach, to bring your word.
pray it's been helpful, Father. Pray that there's been some clarity there, knowing just the challenge of trying to trying to convey what goes on in my own head. But I do pray that Christ has been presented before us in some form or fashion clearer than when we came in. And if not, Father, may it be to my own frailties. Lord, and I ask your grace in opening eyes to see things that I could not articulate. And Father, I pray that we would heed Paul's warnings, that we would not be foolish, that we would be so entrenched in the gospel and the reality of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we would see the reality of just how important life is with him and how damning and terrifying it is without him. That, Father, we might be able to passionately and articulate uh, and, and accurately convey the gospel to our friends and family around us. That they might see their need for Jesus. That grace and mercy would overshadow their lives. They might brought, be brought into your family, Father. And Lord, would you grow us in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Guard us from error. Keep us from slipping, from drifting away to trying to do things by our own efforts. Keep us faithful in the work that you have given to us, Lord. May we each look to our own work and be faithful in it. And as we come together, may we celebrate the wonderful tapestry of gospel-engaging work that we're all involved in. May we humbly recognize that we couldn't all be involved in exactly the same things at exactly the same time. But Father, may we be faithful where you have planted us. May we seek to encourage one another. Where sin exists, Father, may we come alongside one another to admonish, to lift up, and to speak the gospel into each other's lives. Father, I pray that each of us would take an examination of our hearts and would ask, is Jesus the central focus of our life? Is he central? Is he the object of our faith? Or have we been duped? Have we been bewitched into placing our faith on something else? Give us wisdom, Father. Give us clarity. And Father, keep us and sustain us. It's in Jesus' precious name that I pray. Amen. So may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he lift up his face towards you. May he lift up his countenance towards you. May he give you peace. You're dismissed.